And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, December 11th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Bridge Rowley, and a special guest today, Melissa Lockard. Eno, Britt, and Melissa teamed up for a great piece about the lost season for minor leaguers. So we're going to talk about that. The long-term impacts that are feared around the game from not having a minor league season, that missing development time, critically important. We'll dive into some A's-specific topics with Melissa as well. Some interesting things happening in Oakland. They're always fun. Even when teams aren't doing anything, the A's are making little moves and doing something. So first, Melissa, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So I want to start digging into your guys' combined effort earlier this week. Everyone lost. The minor leagues canceled season will reverberate for years. We'll put the link in the show description for people who have not read it yet. Uh, As you got a chance to speak to people around the A's about this lost season, what do you think their greatest concern was, organizationally speaking, by not having the full scope of minor league development in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I I think the sense was pretty similar across most organizations that, you know, they don't what they don't know is what concerns them. You know, I think they could have some control over how much they were talking to their players, what feedback they were getting from their players, what little they saw of them in alternate site and instructional league. But ultimately, they're not going to know until they actually get to uh, a spring training whenever that happens in a regular season, whenever that happens, uh, you know, exactly what was lost and, and where the players that sort of fell through the cracks end up lining up. So I think, you know, those are really big concerns. Um, and when you, cu- you know, couple that with the idea that you're also taking away a whole level of minor league baseball at the same time, it's really going to be interesting because you're going to have to take a, a total focus or sh- shift away from how you've kind of looked at player development in general and how you move guys up at the same time that you have a whole bunch of guys that you don't have any feedback from 2020 with. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting spring training for every player development department in trying to figure out where to slot all these guys. And I was kind of wondering if that was going to impact teams being more aggressive in the Rule 5 draft. We don't even know if rosters are going to be expanded again in 2020 the same way they were in 2020. That would make it easier uh, to stash players, of course, selected in that. Um, Britt, as you were going through and, and talking to people for this piece, I know uh, Eric Cressy was someone you spoke to. The physical development of players and just arm care and general health, like, that's obviously a concern as well. Did you get the sense that there is a greater concern physically for the well-being of pitchers in the short and long term than there is for hitters? Because as I read through, I know hitters express some concerns about not getting reps and the long-term impacts that's going to have. But just physically speaking, are pitchers the greater area of concern? That's what Cressy thinks. And Eno can certainly tell you because he collected info that kind of showed that it could be the flip side. But I think what was most interesting that Cressy said was the fact that we are not done seeing the injuries caused by COVID-19. 
And I think that's important to remember. Even if we start this season on time, even if everything goes like a normal year, they didn't have a normal 2020. This is not a normal off season. You're seeing shutdowns all around the country. And as Cressy noted, guys who, this is different than getting Tommy John surgery. Guys are not having access to rehab facilities, to, to medical facilities, to their gym to work out, to trainers, um, things like that. And so I think what you're going to see is you're going to see the, the talent level, even at the big league level, um, guys kind of take a step back. You saw velocity down with a lot of guys. You saw different pitch characteristics this season. You saw guys, including Max Scherzer, who said he didn't feel like himself until the last week of the season. So uh, to say this is just a minor league thing, I think is almost selling it short. This is a huge um, sport-wide impact at all different levels. Certainly the minor league bears the brunt of it. They don't have the money, the resources, uh, the cachet uh, that the big leaguers do. But when you look at this, it really hits baseball at all angles, I think. And um, when you're a pitcher, um, certainly throwing to live hitters, having that experience, staying on a schedule, they're creatures of habit. Those are really important things. But, you know, you kind of had some really good data that backed up that maybe the hitters have a little bit of a tougher time or will have a little bit of a tougher time recovering from this even more so than the pitching. Yeah, I think I think it'll be really interesting. I think the way to sort of square what Cressy said with what the data said is that I do believe that pitchers will be more injured next year. We we saw this year we saw uh, three times the injuries of an average year um, with with pitchers, and I think we'll at least see double an average year next year because of the things you're talking about, just the the inconsistent training methods, the inconsistent length of off season. If you think about instructs, you're really pushing a, a larger population of your minor leaguers further into the off season and you're taking away rest time and then also training time that would normally be in a, in a full off season. So uh, there's going to be, there's going to be effects from that effects from not being able to get into training to throwing um, all sorts of stuff like that. So I think that the injuries will be up on the pitching side. And I think Cressy's right to say that, but the data that we have about, you know, hitters versus pitchers is that early in the season last year, the first three weeks of the season or so the pitchers were way ahead of the hitters. The pitchers had been training, the pitchers had been throwing to more extent, they'd been ready, but hitters had to kind of feel their way through, kind of, they were still in March mode uh, in August. And so if you looked at swing rates, like for example, they were not swinging, hitters don't swing early in the season because they're kind of like trying to see what everyone's got and try to get their timing down and all that stuff. Um, but pitchers usually, their velo isn't as high up in March. So that's how the regular season goes is the pitcher's velo gets better over the course of the season and the hitters get better over the course of the season. So things stay pretty much even. Uh, but uh, what we saw last year was the hitters came in sort of feeling it out and the pitchers came in at max velo. So um, I, I would I would just sort of a kind of assume that next year the hitters will be behind a little bit early on and the pitchers will be injured. And on top of that, one of the more fascinating things when we we were asking a lot of people was like, how many innings can your guys pitch this year? <laughs> you know, like, how are you going to figure that out? Um, and some of the cutting room floor quotes that we've got was like one guy said, uh, you know, normally our process isn't that rigorous. You know, <laughs> you actually just sort of lay everything down, look at it and add 10 percent. And that's how you do innings. <laughs> and he's like, nobody knows why it's like that, but that's how we do it. Um, and so I think if, if it's already kind of there's a lack of rigor on a normal season uh, this season, they can try to add the rigor, but they won't know. And I don't think that you can just add 10 percent because uh, then your ace throws 55 innings next year like uh i don't think that's happening so 
there's going to be different rules for established older pitchers and younger pitchers, but there's going to be uh, the teams are going to have a hard time filling all the innings. We're going to see uh, a record number of major league debuts by arms. Probably we're just going to see a cycle, you know, a team like the Padres is actually probably in, in good shot because they have Casey Weathers, um, uh, uh, Luis Patino, Andrew Morhan, and 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 um, Mackenzie Gore at the back of the rotation. I bet that they're just going to be up and down all year, and they're going to try and man- massage those guys to like 110 innings or 120 innings, and and just up and down them all year. And the better teams that have uh, better upper minors pitching depth will be able to kind of uh, play that game all season. So that's sort of what I predict for coming next. Year. And I don't think that actually uh, suggests that uh, the that play is going to be that awesome. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to be like, who's this pitcher? Like what, what, like what happened to the other guy? Oh, he's hurt or he's down or like, uh, Oh, he's ended up too many innings. Okay. And, and so you're going to have this weird thing with inconsistent pitching and then hitting, trying to feel their way through back to back to baseball. Uh, And then one of the cutting room, I, I think we cut this one too, was um, somebody saying, the intensity of the games last year was the intensity of a spring training B, and they were talking about the major league games, was the intensity of a spring training B game. Um, so I think we're going to have some sort of ramp up back to intensity. You know, yeah. Where people are like, oh my God, there's fans here, and this is like exciting, and this is a big deal. So, you know, there's so much that uh, we're going to figure out next year. I think that it's almost a given, like, baseball is going to be a little bit worse and we're going to have to try to feel our way through this. I'm thinking about it from a a player development standpoint too. If you have to use more players at the big league level, you're draining the minor leagues. Now, this is happening at a time where there are going to be fewer minor leagues, of course, short season A and advanced rookie going away, as you guys pointed out in the piece. But Melissa, one thing I've wondered about as this contraction process has taken place and it's terrible. I've said this every time. It's doing bad things to people. It's costing people jobs. Is the way teams previously develop players, is it outdated to the point where maybe they could have been more aggressive anyway? Because now they're going to have to be more aggressive, right? We're going to see players moving through minor league levels faster than we have in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, there's no exact science to how a player should move through the minor leagues. And I think um, maybe we've gotten used to a certain progression that didn't necessarily have to be there. And I know there there was a a quote that Nino got from a farm director that essentially said the same thing, which was like, if a guy's ready, why are we, you know, kind of moving them incrementally through the system? You might as well go ahead and put him forward. And, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago that teams could have two high A teams in like the California league, they didn't necessarily have to have a low A and a high A team. And you were looking at, you know, fielding two rosters of, of players. And some of them were, I remember, I think at the time the A's had Visalia and Modesto, and they had like Miguel Tejada coming right out of the Dominican with very little experience at short season level up in high A in the same league that they were throwing, you know, their advanced college guys that they were drafting. So, um, you know, I think if a guy's talented, there's no reason to necessarily keep them back. I think what it really hurts is the guys that come in in the later rounds of the draft and can make a name for themselves. Um, I mean, you kind of, there's always that guy that pops up in his professional 
professional debut in like a short season, you know, New York Penn League or Northwest League that that puts up these big numbers. And all of a sudden, this 20th round pick that was just sort of an organizational filler guy suddenly becomes a legitimate prospect and their career takes a whole direction that I just don't know that that's going to exist anymore. Um, You know, you're going to have a rookie league team. It was interesting. uh, Baseball America talked about there's going to be 180 players, essentially, that can be rostered, it sounds like, in the U.S., which is more than what they were kind of anticipating. So extended spring training groups are going to be larger, um, which I think will help kind of allow them to ease some of these younger guys through the first couple of months of the season, maybe on the complex, doing extended spring, and then pushing them out to these levels and having some of the older guys get a shot at the beginning of the season. But um, you're not, I thought, I sort of assumed that they would have maybe two Arizona Rookie League teams or two Gulf you know, Coast Rookie League teams at the, their complexes with that many players. And it sounds like most organizations are anticipating only having one. So you're still actually winnowing down the opportunities for a lot of these guys. And we don't know how long the draft is going to be. So if the draft ends up being cut down to, say, maybe 20 rounds, um, you know, these independent leagues that they're building up now with some of the affiliates that lost their affiliations, they're going to take a, you know more outsized importance for those guys that used to get drafted at the end of it. But you're looking at sort of, I think, almost the end of the four-year senior player who kind of jumps out at you and becomes the big surprise. And there's a lot of those guys in the big leagues, I think, especially in bullpens around baseball that are, you know, have really solid careers that were like 28th round picks that played four years at some small school in the Northeast and, you know, end up having legitimate big league careers. So what, you know, I think we are going to lose a lot from that. Um, you know, there's some good things. I think geographical realignment is a good idea. Um, and, and and I think having standards across the league um, for how the players are treated at their different uh, affiliate levels is is good. But uh, the, you know, kind of winnowing down of, of opportunities is really bad. So I, I get the geographic thing. And for those who are, are not familiar with the minor leagues, they announced the 120 now officially, right? Golden tickets. It was 119, but then Fresno... They solidified. How did Oakland end up with the Lansing Lugnuts in Michigan? How does that make any geographic sense at all? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so uh, it was funny because um, I think early on it looked like it was going to be Vancouver and they were going to be in the Northwest League and uh, Toronto was going to probably stay in Lansing as they had been. And um, there was a, a kind of a cryptic tweet from uh, Rob Fay, who's been the voice of the Canadians for a very long time, um, that there's an interesting story to tell. I think that story had gotten out before anybody was ready to solidify it. And I think there was probably a pretty big outcry because the Vancouver had actually been an A's affiliate for quite some time and then uh, moved over to the Jays as a short season affiliate. And the idea of the two Canadian professional teams being in one organization was a big selling point. And so for them to take that away, I think there was, even though they'd had a good relationship with Oakland in the past, I think that was not necessarily well received. Then there was the complication too of, we don't know if teams are going to be able to go into Canada to play this mm-hmm. season. So, um, you know, depending on how long these relationships are even going to be for you know, one of the interesting things that wasn't included in these announcements was how long these PDCs were going to be, these contracts that affiliates sign with their organizations to be remain affiliated. So, you know, we don't know if these are forever or if these are just for this next season. Um, so it could be a remains to be seen sort of situation. But I think for now, what ended up happening was basically Toronto 
and needed to stay aligned with Vancouver because it doesn't make a lot of geographical sense for Vancouver to be with the Toronto either. And Lansing, you know, ended up being the, the kind of flip trade-off that they did. So um, in the fact that they have a, an affiliate in Midland, Texas, which is their AA affiliate, to go from Lansing to Midland is not terribly you know, inconvenient, I guess. So they kind of were able to play it off that way. But um, that's the best explanation I can kind of think of about <laughs> that ended up that way. I, I'm interested in this concept of sorting. Uh, one of, another quote that didn't uh, make the piece, because um, we we talked to so many people about this and, and everybody was really interested in talking about it. But, um, you know, one of the things that didn't make it was uh, that same person who said that, you know, his mind is blown about how he's going to do, how he's going to sort his players this year. And he's just trying to reevaluate his whole process. Uh, said that, you know, um, when everyone decides, when, when my leagues get going again, um, everyone's going to have to decide, do I put a guy who was going to be in high A or, or, or in double A next year, do I put him in triple A this year and pretend that they just keep advancing, that they just, you know, do I just advance them, uh, even though we didn't have the minor leagues? Or do I, am I more conservative and keep them back at the place where they would have been to start 2020? Um, and he said this is a really important thing because we don't, he said, as a team, we don't know what everybody else is going to do, right? So uh, if we could all like, and this sounds like collusion but if we could all like sort of circulate a memo be like hey we're all gonna just be conservative and start them where they were last year then the quality of play or the the sort of the age the age at each level and the quality of play the the advancement you know how advanced each of the players were at each of these levels would then be consistent across baseball but what we're gonna have is some teams being like ah this guy's ready for double a or we're gonna be more aggressive and just move guys along uh, and some other teams being like we're not going to so what i i i I think, and I've sort of continued this conversation with this farm director, I think the best move is to be conservative at first and put guys in uh, where they w- might have started last year just so that they hit the ground running in a good way. I mean, they've had a year off. They haven't maybe been playing minor league games like this. Uh, but then maybe be aggressive once you start to see the lay of the land um, and uh, and once you kind of see some performance from them. Uh, but I, I don't know uh, what um, you got in your reporting, Melissa, about uh, like what people are going to do about that sorting process. Yeah, you know, and I think it's also going to be organization by organization. I was looking at the two Bay Area teams that I cover, um, you know, the California League going from high A to low A will actually probably have some impact on on what they do because, you know, those organizations both like to be able to take a look in their own backyard at players that they assigned to Stockton and San Jose. Um, and them being high A, you know, it was easy to go ahead and jump over low A and put their college draft picks there. And so you would have, you know, expected them to kind of do that sort of thing here. But now that that high A is going to be in Eugene and Lansing, um, the question becomes, do you want to take a look at some of those guys close on in the beginning of the year? And that means they're starting out technically in low A. Um, or do you go ahead and push them forward? I think the Giants have a really interesting uh, decision to make with Marco Luciano, because um, I think probably the fact that he had a chance to be at the alternate site and at Instructional League and he got a lot of reps, you know, they maybe would have gone ahead and put him at high A San Jose. But now that San Jose is low A, do they start him there so they can kind of keep an eye on him, maybe bring him up to San Francisco from time to time just to sort of keep him in that sort of loop of it and then move him up maybe midseason? Um 
I think that midseason promotion, which is, you know, that, that that's a pretty typical thing that you see organizations, you know, move a lot of guys right after the All-Star break, I think will probably even be busier this year than normal. And I think that's where you see these extra guys maybe that, um, you know, are going to be rostered at extended spring training being used in the early part of the season. And then you might see a lot more midseason releases than you would have, even though the draft isn't going to be in June. Usually, you know, you see a lot of guys released after the draft takes place. Um, but you may see those guys released anyway, even though there isn't an influx of new players because of this promotions kind of thing. So um, there's, I think, a lot of unknown. And I think this is going to be very unscientific. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a lot of experimentation. And um, the question becomes how many careers get altered in a negative way because people were trying to figure it out on the on the fly. And everyone's going to be doing their best, but there's just only so much you can kind of do to prepare um, you know, in a, in a situation this unknown. So um, I think it's going to be, you know, really fascinating to see what, what's going to happen. Um, I bet you there are some guys that were released early in this offseason that had they known they were going to have 180 players, maybe they wouldn't have released, you know, guys that were in their final year of uh, team control um, that they figured they were going to have to cut that maybe now they would have saved to do this sort of double A buffering. Um, but, you know, you can sign a lot of those guys too. So you might see a lot more minor league free agent signings in the next few weeks as well. I had this crazy idea back when alternate site groups were being announced that the really young top prospects who were included in that might actually benefit more from a year of development with older players than they would have if they'd been in low A or short season or playing complex ball against much younger players players for most of the season have you had the same I mean this we talked about this a little earlier it's all individual development is so individualized so a guy like Luciano who's likely a future star is going to move faster than a lot of other players but did you get the sense that any teams uh, were going to be more aggressive because of guys that were included in that group versus guys who were not included in that group because to me that could be one thing that separates who gets the more aggressive promotion and who gets the this is where you would have been last year. Let's start you there and then figure it out. Yeah, I, I do think so. And I, I think it's it's an interesting balance because, you know, there's a lot to be gained from playing. And I don't think you can say that anyone at the alternate site was really playing in the sense that you, you know, think about a traditional season. These were kind of exhibitions that maybe went four or five innings. You had, you know, uh, base like Bobby Crosby was playing third base for a lot of the games at, at the alternate site because they <laughs> ran out of people. Um, but at the same time, they're facing AAA pitching or guys with big league experience every single day. Um, they're getting to see how those guys prepare and, um, you know, get ready for each practice, get ready for each technical, you know, game. They get to hear stories from guys that were coming back from the big leagues. And there is a lot to be gained from that. I think, you know, you, you, see a lot of guys gain a lot from their first big league spring training. And this was essentially a much longer version of big league spring training in a lot of ways. Um, so a guy like Luciano, yeah, I think you could see um, move just as quickly as he would have moved anyway, despite the missed year. Um, some of the other guys that were in that camp that maybe aren't quite as advanced to him, it might not have quite as much of an impact. But I think for the elite guys, it certainly was probably enough to keep them at least on track, if not you know, ahead of the game. I did think, and I don't know what you guys all thought of this, but the Rule 5 draft, just watching it unfold, um, I kind of like yesterday, I kind of thought, how do teams have any video? How are teams making any decisions off of, you know, selecting a, a, a player that's not been placed on a 40-man roster that 
that's the the picking pool for for rule five guys guys who have been in the system for a certain amount of time who are left unprotected um you know as you and i reported earlier in the season there was 10 teams that didn't even share their video from alternate sites were you guys surprised at all at some of the the names that were going off the board and like how i don't know if you guys spoke to anyone is any sense of like how teams decided this year hey we're going to take these guys that we really maybe haven't seen in well over a year yeah, I wanted to ask Melissa about the 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 the, the picks in particular. Uh, I thought was it. How do you say his name? Kai Kai it, Kai, um, but he also goes by Blaze, so maybe it just okay. easier. To Blaze. Blaze 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 That's Blaze, Blaze Tom. Tom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He uh, he's an interesting character because if you watch him, I think he looks undersized. Um, you're surprised by the power numbers with the swing that he's got. You know, he kind of uh, I think I would label him kind of a performance prospect uh, is another way of saying uh, it's a little bit different than organizational filler. It's a guy who's kind of surprises you with the numbers and, and, and the scouting community doesn't really like him as much as the numbers do. I think the A's love those players. They, they get those players all the time. Um, and. Uh, we we were kind of we, we were talking about how performance prospects might be hurt the most by this sorting process because they're not going to be one of the top prospects that's at the alternate site and they're not young enough to be at the instructs. So Mike Brasso types, you know, the the pop up guys that we were talking about. Uh, did did you get any? Did you hear anything um, about about Blaze Tom and how that fit in and like exactly like sort of hand in hand with what Britt's asking about how to evaluate? Yeah, you know, Dan Feinstein talked um, right, the assistant general manager talked right after the draft. um, And, you know, basically both with Blaze and with uh, Danny Jimenez, who was their second, they actually took two Rule 5 picks. So they dove off the the deep end (laughs) in a year where you didn't have as much information. Um, But for both of them, actually, Instructional League was a big part of their scouting process. Um, Tom was invited to the Instructional League there. You know, he said um, he was very disappointed to be left off their alternate site group in Cleveland. Um, but was invited to do instructional league, jumped at the opportunity, and I guess played well enough there that they felt good about what they were seeing from him there. And Jimenez, even though they had obviously had so a there chance were scouts to see, there was there were I guess yeah they had scouts there, um, and they were in Arizona, so they probably faced them a couple oh, of times okay, as well okay, too. Okay, yeah. um, but they also scouted Jimenez at the Blue Jays uh, instructional league, so they must have had scouts at, at that mm. one as well. Um, and they felt good about where his stuff was even more than when they saw him um, at, you know, the Giants spring training and then the, those two appearances he made in the major leagues. And they actually, to the point that they said, we think there's a couple of things mechanically we think we can fix with him. So they've already identified enough from video that they think they can fix Now you know best laid plans and all that sort of thing. But um, one thing that really struck me, though, about the Rule 5 draft was I think there were only three position players. If I I can't, I might have that number a little bit wrong, but there were 18 players taken in the major league portion and the the vast, vast majority were pitchers. Um, So in talking, when you were saying about pitchers going up and down and um, you're going to see a lot of guys making their debuts, I think you can see that reflected in this Rule 5 pool. Um, You're talking about a lot of raw arms that throw really hard, maybe have one other pitch that has a wrinkle. Right, yeah, and you might as well see, and you throw those up against the wall, and Phantom if they don't DL work... Stance. Yeah, exactly. It's $50,000 if you you know lose out yeah. and have to return them, right? So right. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of that. And if it ends up at a 28-man roster instead of 26, you know, a lot of these guys are going to stick, I think. Right, too. yeah. Yeah, good point. That Blaze Tom pick is pretty interesting because the A's are trying to replace Robbie Grossman. And if you're going off number scouting, there's at least a chance Tom wins a job and exceeds expectations. He has that sort of profile to him. Uh, I wanted to ask you 
about AJ Puck, Melissa. He is one of the most difficult players to analyze because we don't see him because he's hurt. Uh, what have you been able to gather just in watching him in the limited stints he has been on the mound, and, and where would you set expectations for him? Because he clearly seems like the kind of guy that's going to have his workload monitored probably in 2021 and maybe even a bit in 2022 as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because every time the A's talk about him, they still talk about him in their starter mix, which surprises me because you're right. I mean, I would think um, he's thrown something like 38 or 40 innings over the last three years um, because he had the Tommy John surgery and missed the 2018 season. 2019, he came back and, you know, they decided to move him to the bullpen so he could help the big league team. So I think that was like about 40 innings. And then, you know, obviously didn't get off the ground in 2020. So um, to think that you can jump from that to back to somewhat of a starter's workload seems, you know, kind of overly optimistic to me. Um, but they still do refer to him in that mix. Uh, I think they felt good about, as, as good as you can feel about a shoulder surgery, um, what they found when they went in there. I think it was a less complicated repair than they were anticipating, and they think that he's going to have a full recovery. I, you know, still, I think you have to be pretty concerned when an elbow becomes a shoulder um, and what that cascading effect is. That being said, when he was pitching in spring training and then when he was pitching at the alternate in, in the summer two, 2.0 camp or whatever they were calling that, he looked really, really good up until the point that he got hurt each of those two times. His command was looking much better than it had in the year that he was coming back from Tommy John. The fastball had a lot of life to it. You know, he's got three other pitches besides the fastball that he can work on. So he's definitely got a starter's mix. Um, it's just a matter of whether his body is going to let him be able to stay healthy enough, I think, to stay on the mound. So um, I, I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. Maybe they start him out as a as a starter in very, you know, kind of metered four or five inning outings and then move him into a relief role as the year goes on. I think if they get 70 innings out of him to build towards a more normal uh, 2022. I think that would be a huge success. Um, but we'll, we'll have to kind of see. So, um, but he's in that mix. I think he and Dalton Jeffries and maybe even James Caprillian are sort of in that mix to fill that fifth starter, maybe patchwork throughout the season. I want to know how I can change my name formally to Blaze. I think it would. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name actually on his birth certificate. I mean, think about guys. It would really up the show. You got Eno, you got DVR, and Blaze. I mean, I'm just thinking about us. (laughs) We can just call you Blaze. Add a certain cachet. He's going to be competing with Sky Bolt too for for at bats in spring training, which I think is the absolute best all time wow. games kind of competition position battle right there. <laughs> yeah. Sky versus wow. Blaze. I love exactly. it. I love it. So, Melissa, I also want to ask you. There were a little, little bit of A's, I guess, news ish with Jake Diekman kind of being the, I guess, ordained right now as we sit in mid December as the the primary closer. Um, obviously, Liam Hendricks remains one of the the, the better relief arms um, on the market. Um, if you're the A's, do, do they look to upgrade? Is Diekman the guy? Um, how do you feel, I guess, about um, them potentially having him move into that de facto closer role? Yeah, you know, he was really good in 2020, but his command is not what you look for when you look for a, a closer. I mean, I think he's definitely in that late inning mix. Um, I think 
you know, sort of if you look at that wild card series against the White Sox and the way that they used him in a lot of different roles in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, um, you know, he was effective that way. And I would sort of imagine that they would do that. But I think in a, you know, ideal world, they go out and try to find somebody with some experience closing games that they could pair with Diekman. Um, and so I, I think he'll probably get save opportunities, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be Liam Hendricks and be the anointed everyday um, guy. I could be wrong, but even in, you know, David Forrest spoke earlier this week and even his answer about it was like, you know, Diekman is a guy that we, that we like there, but it wasn't like he was like, he's going to be our closer. So, uh, you know, I think they're still looking, they tend to sign um, experienced relievers towards the like January portion of most off seasons. Um, So I would expect them to be active then once the maybe bigger names like Hendricks get, get signed and, and the market sort of shakes itself out. Yeah. You know, did you predict Hendricks? I know you, you did like a 10 predictions of the top um, free agents. Yeah, I said Hendricks to the White Sox. I just thought, you know, they're going to I think that they're going to buy a big closer. I think they're going to buy at the top of the market for a closer. Yeah, I see the A's. I don't know. I'm just scanning it and I'm not I haven't really deep dived in any of it, but like a Keone Kayla or um, maybe even like an Anthony Bass. Like they're just going to get a guy that doesn't cost that much that has good velo. That's that's yeah. kind of that's what they do. They 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 yeah. like velo. They've talked about velo, and and so it'll be somebody that has good velo that doesn't cost as much as the yeah. other guys. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get involved in the Sean Doolittle market if he looks like he's going to be healthy too. Just the relationships they have with him, the guys you know they they've they've worked with him before. His command, I think, is something that even if the velo is not playing up, if they feel like it's good enough to compete somewhere in that mix, they'd be able to throw him into a lot of different situations as well. Um, but I don't know if he's going to have to do a showcase or something to kind of make sure that teams, you know, see that he's healthy or not before that comes. But that's another name I'd sort of keep in mind as well. Melissa, thanks for making some time to talk to us today. The piece was outstanding. Enjoyed the Rule 5 write-up as well because Blaze Tom is now one of my favorite players <laughs> as a result of his name. But knowing more about him also helps before making that decision. But again, thanks for making the time for us today. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Well, the winter meetings are over. Uh, we did get one more trade, though, on Thursday. The free Nate Lowe movement gets a pretty big win. The Rays flip Nate Lowe to the Rangers, where he can be, I think, the everyday first baseman in Texas. That was a gaping hole on the Rangers' depth chart. And I think this is exactly what we we're talking about with Melissa, where a hall of prospects right now that you get from our perspective outside the game with minimal information, not being able to see those guys and relying on what people tell us about these players, we really can't grade a trade in which multiple prospects were shipped to the Rays. 
I think without doing the knee jerk, well, the Rays traded away Nate Lowe, so there's something wrong with him, and the Rays traded for these prospects. These prospects must be good, which we're not going to do. Um, I, I was digging in a little bit, and there was a prospect. He's listed as a catcher first baseman. I, I think he can also play the outfield, too. He's the prize. He's the guy. Heriberto Hernandez. There you go. Heriberto Hernandez. But, uh, you know, I think, yeah, I think they were trying to get him. I think there's a lot of things going on. But, I mean, um, I did try to look at Nate Lowe and be like, what's wrong with him? You know, he's projected to be the second best corner infielder the Rays have next year. Uh, the only person who's projected to be better is Yoshi Tsutsugo, who was worse than Nate Lowe last year. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, that's kind of a faith play to say that, you know, Nate Lowe, you know, by steamer projections at least would have been the probably the best corner infielder they had next year uh so it's a little bit weird that even though they have a stacked situation there they let him go then you know a bunch of people from the Rays verse said well he's been really bad uh you know i think jason collette pointed this out some other people uh that he's really bad against high uh against high fastballs and against high velocity fastballs and i looked at his barrels and he goes oppo with his barrels more often than pulling them which is you pull barrels do better than oppo barrels any case there might be some sort of velo question with him um and with Heriberto Hernandez, you say, oh, well, this guy hits lasers. He's listed as a catcher OF. Maybe they can get him a catcher. I was talking to people. They say he's definitely not a catcher. He might not even be an outfielder. Um, and so, and he's kind of small, like short. So he might not be a first baseman. So they may have just traded for a DH that hits lasers, which sounds like the Rays. Like they'll find a way, to, a place to put him yeah. um, in his prime, right? Uh, but uh, I think it, it. I think it's almost more an indictment of Nate Lowe than anything. Well, they got two of the top thirty Rangers prospects, right? And these kids are young. They're what twenty years old. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think what's funny though, guys, is if like the Rockies made this trade or some other team, we'd be like, "This is horrible. This makes no sense." But the Rays just seem so were, much smarter yeah, than everyone else, right? <laughs> we're like, what were they? What were they thinking? What did we miss? What's going on here? You know, it's like digging deep into the numbers. Here's the so. here's the craziest part. I mean, do you play poker? Oh uh, yeah. Do, do you do. know about giving action? No. Okay, giving action. I hadn't heard <laughs> of it. I'm guessing taking a turn. I, I, have, I, I hadn't heard of it really either. But giving action is this idea that you will make a bet that doesn't like that doesn't necessarily have a good uh, expected return. Like the, you'll you'll make you'll make a bet on an iffy hand um, just to. Uh, uh, just to keep people thinking that they're as smart as you or smarter than you. And like, you know, just to keep the room moving, like keep the, so that you'll get more action later. So like, if you think, if you only bet only on the, on the hands that will, you'll win and you only win when you bet, then every time you bet, somebody says, Oh, this guy never bluffs. He never does anything. I'm not going to give him any action. He's got a great hand. I fold. Right. But if you, if you do some bets that are like sort of, yeah, treading water. Maybe I win, maybe I don't. You just sort of throw some money out there. Then somebody says, oh, which one is this next time that you have a really good hand and you can get more money on the hands where you have a good hand. So that's so they're so smart. They're pretending to not be smart certain times. So then we're not sure how smart they really are. I, I would say it's treading water. So like <laughs> they don't think Nate Lowe is that important and they're going to move Nate. They're going to turn Nate Lowe into someone younger and further away, right? And they're, yeah. they're just going to keep the, the things. And that maybe that means next time they really want somebody from the Rangers, they'll get them. I don't know. That's it was a it's an can, interesting idea. I don't know if it's true, but it's it's an interesting idea. 
I think it's fascinating, and I also think that if the title of this podcast episode is not "Rays Are Getting More Action Later," <laughs> then I got to check with the SEO judges on that one and, and see if we get the thumbs up it's or the time, thumbs down. It's time to blaze and give action. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard about giving action? Boy, this podcast took a turn. Yeah, right. um, no, but I think that concept also applies in fantasy baseball too. If you are a good trader and you gain a reputation in your league for always winning trades, the league will stop trading with you. And yeah. you do have to go out and make trades that are more even or even trades that you lose eventually in order to kind of keep the game rolling. In order to win trades later, you do have to be more fair or possibly lose a, a smaller trade or two along the way. Because if you get burned enough times by somebody, you're not going back there anymore. So keeping options open is important. I think that's and a, you think that's about think about like your interactions with people, like the people that need to win every th- league, if they also add like sort of bluster and like are annoying about it and are just like always pushing the trade and always trying to put, you know, more players in three for one, four for one, and just like are just overwhelming with offers that are and, and with the sort of blustery, I will always win side of mentality, then you just like, ah, dude. I'm not taking your phone call. Right. I'm just not going to deal with you because you're not pleasant <laughs> wow. to deal with. Who is this in real life, do you guys think? Who's the- Houston Astros. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, under Lunau, I, don't, I, I can't speak for Click. But do you remember when they, when they dropped that thing that actually had um, offers that they had made? Yes. Remember there was like a, and they were terrible. Yes. They were like the worst, my flotsam for your star, <laughs> like the worst kind of stuff that you hear on like WFAN where it's like, well, can we trade like Steven Matz for, you know, like Stanley Alcantara and Javier Lo- and, and Pablo Lopez yeah. or like, I, I can, I can do better. I don't know. Can we trade Steven Matz or Garrett Cole? Yeah, Mike Trout. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's what they were. They were just like, these terrible and i guess the idea is you make that sort of crazy uh, requ- request and then later on you get you when you do get to the deal you have a better return but i think at some point you stop answering the phone calls from the astros yeah yeah i would love to have like gms honestly tell us like okay who's like the three guys that you hate dealing with like who are the the three guys and i bet the rays are up there because you always get this feeling that maybe they're swindling you right you always are like ah, why do you like that guy never mind but they they give a lot of action, man. I would say one thing is the Rays are always trading. Like uh, so, I, I would say that it, I would say maybe it's not true that it's the Rays because they're they're always making trades. I think you can go to the Rays and talk to them about any player, like <laughs> Snell. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I I I, I don't know who it is. Uh, maybe AJ Preller. I was gonna say Preller. But I mean, he makes trades, and sometimes he makes like I think that the industry kind of raised their eyebrow at the Clevenger trade. Yeah, I would agree. Well, the jury's still out on that because now he's going to be out. I don't know how much they gave up, and, and I don't know how much they gave up either. So True. That seemed like a pretty fair trade, even one that I liked for the Padres when it happened. I feel like it's easy to look at it now and go, oh, what are they doing? Clevenger's hurt. But Right, mm-hmm. right. That's hindsight 2020. But with Preller, I think you like don't even know if he's telling you the truth. Yes. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I um, mean, did Drew Pomerantz take these drugs or not? Oh, you're going to lie to me? Oh, thanks. Exactly. I mean, I've heard that there's a lot of lying that goes on when guys get put on waivers um, in terms of like, oh, you don't want that guy. He's a bad character guy. No, they, totally they, just, they just want to flip him through. They just want him to squeeze through waivers. Just trying to, to yeah, sneak him want through. To get through. Yeah. Yeah. So there's liar, liar day. We'll, we'll see if we can get some uh, GMs to come on. Probably never and tell us what they really think. 
<laughs> maybe maybe that could be like when we actually have a winter meetings, we could do uh, a piece where we grant them anonymity just to get them to talk crap on each other. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. That would be pretty fun. Be a nice <laughs> battle royale. <laughs> I'm sure you guys saw this tweet at some point in the last uh, couple of days, but Mike Petriello tweeted out a grid of the 2021 war projections from fan graphs, and this was just for uh, for hitters. So you could see the disparity between the top teams, the Dodgers, the Angels actually, 25 war for their hitters, thanks Mike Trout, uh, second on that list, tied for second with the Twins. You could see teams at the bottom like the Marlins, the Rockies, shocker, and the Rangers, who did get a little better in that Nate Lowe trade. Uh, and it made uh, one of our listeners, Alex, was wondering, how many teams are actually trying right now because when you see it laid out that way you do have a pretty good read on the the haves and the have-nots and some of those have-nots are not linked to anybody in free agency and a lot of those teams also don't have young talent to start making up that gap this to me looked like a, a pretty good indictment of some of these teams being bad for a long long time yeah the bottom five definitely but the the when you look beyond that, like the bottom 10, there's some interesting names in here. The Nats are trying to win now. The Phillies, we know, are, are going to try to win now because they just brought in Dave Dombrowski. So there's, I mean, can they right. win now? I uh, That's probably a, a, a long podcast discussion, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brewers are in that little like weird gray area. I mean, the Mariners have a a bunch of really exciting prospects about to hit the major leagues. Right. Of the teams near the bottom... The Mariners, because of some really high ceiling position players, could get a lot better really fast. Like they're they're one of the more exciting teams in the bottom part of that list. I think the D backs are like a high variance. I think they're trying to play the A's style of baseball where they, they create good okay teams every year. The Brewers are living there too. That's the type of team the Brewers are. I think the D backs and Brewers are just like any year they can be a, a better than you expect and they're gonna always be near five hundred in projections and uh yeah, that's how that's how I kind of see the D-backs plan. So it's never going to be like, oh, my God, they've got five prospects coming. It's kind of like, well, maybe if Christian Robinson and Dalton Varsho work out and, you know, they find an extra pitcher or Luke Weaver has a good season, then they'll be good. Yeah, the, what, the Marlins are behind only the Rockies and the Rangers here at the bottom of this list, which I found a little interesting. Really, the Marlins are worse off in 2021 than the Orioles? But they have that's because it's bad only and their position players uh, are terrible. That's true. Their offense is a bit of a hit. But really, the Orioles, the Pirates? <laughs> Pirates. <yeah. laughs> like that that's bad to be looking up on the Pirates yeah, right now. I don't it know. is real bad to be looking up at the Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love reading any kind of Pirates content off the athletic because it's like, why should I root for this team? Like they're so funny about it. Like, here, I know what you're wondering. Why should I read this article? Why should I care about this team? Um, our our Pittsburgh people do a great job of like keeping it readable. Like, here's fake trades that will never happen because the pirates are terrible. Like they do a great job of being like <laughs> totally Totally. Trying to have some fun with it. No, but there's a line between truly not trying and part of a rebuild. So let's do the opposite and see like who's really not trying. And I is what the Orioles are doing. Is that not trying? Yeah. Is it not? It's not trying for now. Or is it rebuilding? It's not trying. So we're going to call rebuilding not trying. uh, I'd, I'd say they're actually rebuilding. They have direction. I think you can see some teams in this chart. What's more like not trying? Like the Reds and Cardinals? Is that more not trying? Like the they're Reds, not, they're are okay, to not and they're trying. not trying to get better. Or we right. haven't seen that. We haven't seen it yet. They're yeah. kind of caught in the middle. 
they're not quite good enough to. Well, they might be good enough because the NL Central is a, a group of five teams all tanking simultaneously. They're, they're all <laughs> pretending they have no money, and you know the Cubs and Cardinals are a little better than the Brewers and Reds, but not by so much that you couldn't see the Reds or Brewers kind of closing that gap and winning the division with eighty-five wins. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be so gross if we go back to a normal schedule. The winner of the NL Central is going to have a very modest win total unless something very unexpected happens with one or two of those teams. You're not kidding. Check this out. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 teams that rank ahead of the first National League Central in total war. Wow. Yeah. In total projected war. So, And then it goes Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals, 16, 17, 18, (laughs) and Reds, 19. So uh, right behind the Royals. So they are sort of all diving for the middle and just being like, hey, you know, the next person who signs um, a major free agent might actually jump to the top of this. Like the Reds sign Marcus Simeon. Like they will be virtually indistinguishable from the Brewers and Cardinals. And they are going to get a shortstop. So it could make a lot of sense for them to go that route. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, Britt, question about the Nationals. Are they trying? <laughs> I mean, they're so weird. Well, on, on the hitter chart especially, they're lopsided. It's Juan Soto, Trey Turner, and just a bunch of old guys the and, worst and spare non-shortstop yes. infield in baseball i was hoping you know texted Miserable. me that the other day and i'm like holy hell <laughs> yeah are they you've suggested they might need to tear it down at some point they got their title they're getting old but i feel like when you look at a chart like this and you see two four plus war players and especially one at shortstop you've got enough of a core there where you yeah. can add the things you need and continue on your current window. I don't think their window's closed yet. I think Juan Soto affords the Nationals the kind of long window that the Angels have had and squandered during Mike Trout's time there. 
Like for the Nationals to tear it down with Juan Soto at this stage of his career, unless they have some kind of speedy rebuild option, and I don't really think that exists anymore, I think they're better off continuing to push chips in. Yeah, I do too. But the issue is if they're not good by like July, you got Max Scherzer, you've got like an aging roster and guys who won't be back who you may want to like flip, right? And do like that mini whatever we can get back. Let's just eat it for the rest of the season. But I agree with you. They need to, in my opinion, you go out and you add like DJ LeMayhew, George Springer, like you add one or two of these guys and all of a sudden you're like feeling pretty good about that lineup, right? You're like, okay, now we have three guys because this season it was Trey Turner, Juan Soto, and if they weren't batting that inning, forget it. Um, they got really old with a lot of the guys. The Eric Thames signing was a disaster. Starlin Castro got hurt. Um, a lot of their additions just didn't do anything. But they could follow that same playbook, and it might work out next year. You know, right. they are in a place where the, the, the places they need to fill um, are not expensive. Like, they, they are the worst team in baseball by first baseman, except for the Rockies. Yep. So, like, it can't be that hard to go buy, like, just a one-year first baseman. Um, even, like, maybe put Kyle Schwarber there or, you know, like, just, you know, there's lots of different options low on the table where you just do a one-year deal with them. Um, and you know, if you did a one-year deal with a first baseman, signed DJ LeMayhew, um, and then picked a left fielder up to to help out with left field, you could bring a lot of that that stuff up and and get back right to w- within the Mets pretty quickly, I think. But th- it does require spending money, and they just fired everybody. Yeah, it's an interesting like no one really knows what the budget is, what they're going to be able to spend. Um, I mean, I know it's like that for a lot of clubs, and we've talked about it previously on the show that players are just like. Free agents have no idea what's going on because GMs don't really know what's going on. And if the guys offering the deals aren't really sure, I do think hopefully before Christmas, we kind of see a little more movement. Um, I know the the Nats are anxious to make a few moves. So hopefully you could start to see these dominoes falling a little bit. But you're right. I mean, you add one cheap player on a one-year deal and then you sign one of these bigger free agents and they're a good team. Steven Strasburg was hurt all of last year. Uh, you know Max Scherzer entering. The final year of his contract is going to be motivated. He wants to continue to pitch. He hates people. You can even bring up the fact that he's getting older. He'll just like death stare at you, which is even scarier <laughs> because he's got the two colored eyes and you're like yeah. never sure which eye is like <laughs> to look at. Uh, so um, learned that like my first week on the job. I was like, oh my God, this guy's terrifying. I will never try to piss him off. Um, so they they do have like some factors that you look at it and you're like, okay, they should get better. They had a lot of regression in their bullpen with Daniel Hudson and Will Harris, but how much of that was, like we said, the weird season, those guys didn't look ready. Uh, they didn't look right. So they, they do, I mean, the Braves are really good, but the Phillies are a train wreck and I'm not so sure what the Mets are going to do here. Are they going to, you know, are they going to need a little time to, to, to build up what they have? I don't know. Um, but the nationals right now have that window to still be good. And if you win again, after just winning in 19, who cares if you're bad for five years after that? Right. I feel like if, if you can continue to have this like success for at least one or two more years, um, you know, maybe you look at it and you're like, all right, that's it. We're done now. We're going to have Juan Soto and a bunch of scrubs as he plays out his career, but he won two rings. And I don't think people will forget that. So, um, yeah. I, I do think that they're a team who is very far down this this war list, but their team is trying to win now. And I mean, 
the Phillies have got to be a win now team, right? Or at least a win soon team with the, the crazy hiring. I had Real Muto going to a surprise team, the Astros, but that was only because I thought the Mets are going to sign McCann and that I don't see a market. But if Dombrowski's going to the Phillies, I feel like they, they might re-sign McCann. Um, and I mean, re-sign Real Muto and then uh, maybe make a couple other uh, targeted signings. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe in the bullpen. They're still pretty bad in the bullpen maybe somewhere on the infield, but uh, they don't really have the prospects uh, to make anything other than one big splash. If they, they send Howard somewhere with some other pieces um, maybe for like a Snell trade. So like they could try to pull Snell sign real Muto and sign Hendricks. And, and that would, that would be very Dombrowski esque. Yeah. What a bomb yesterday. Like, I don't know how you guys felt. I saw it and had to read it twice. To make sure I like read yeah. the tweet correctly. I was just about to call him for my other story. So. <laughs> I thought he was committed to that project. I thought he was committed to Nashville. You know, no. like, this is this is strange. It, it was this Phillies job one that people who were in a position to be offered the job just didn't want. You know, if, if you were a highly coveted candidate to take over as a GM or president of baseball ops, whatever the title officially ends up being, is this one of those situations you look at and say, yeah, you know what? I don't want this to be my first opportunity. And I realize there's only a very limited number of people who can choose to pass on a job like that because you might not get offered another one. But you're, the first job you take, the first GM job you take is really important. Yep. It might be like your last. Yep. Right, because if you fail, you're probably not getting a second chance as a GM. Look at like, Matt Clinton. You'll be yeah. an AGM somewhere. Yeah, you, you yeah. ruin that first chance. And that, like you know, said, it might be it. So do you really want that Philly situation? Look at, like, what is appealing about that job? <laughs> it's a job, I guess. I don't know. It, you know, uh, maybe the owner tells you that he's willing to spend. It's such a weird time in the game right now because the Reds, who were one of the most aggressive teams of the offseason a year ago, are paring down payroll right now. And we don't know if they're going to spend on Simeon and offset the difference in price. But I, I still look at this team and go, yeah, they're not spending as much as they were projected to spend in a full 2020. They're, they're just not going to do that. And I think just like the Phillies, they opened up the pocketbook and went out and added Bryce Harper. I don't know how aggressive they're going to be. Like the Real Muto reunion does seem more likely with Dombrowski, but if the moves you have to make by adding Dave Dombrowski to run your team cause you to spend more money, that doesn't seem like a thing that an owner would do right now. That just seems so counterintuitive to the way baseball ownership groups are going about their business right now. Yep. Unless you're the Royals, because the Royals have actually been like, no, we're not cutting. We're going to keep spending, which is relative because they're the Royals. But there have been some teams, the White Sox out there that are going to be aggressive. But you're right. I don't the Phillies job to me is just it's just a bad job. Like the owner seems like he's very involved. Right. It was, hey, we're going to trade Zach Wheeler. Oh, no, we're not. Now we're going to hire Dave Dombrowski. Um, yeah right. Um, yeah. It, does th that sort of messaging does not speak well? To, it's almost like Wilpon esque. Yeah, right? and it's 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 Ned Rice is still the interim GM there, right? But Andy McPhail is leaving. Is is that correct? Is that what's happening in that front office? And, and that sort of stuff. I think that's why the Mets couldn't find a GM because they're like, but you have Sandy Alderson. So what am I going to do? Uh, you you want me is just to like you know do write the contracts out? Is that what you want me for? Because Sandy's going to make all the calls. Right. Yeah. Like if you have someone who's making the decisions above you and you have the title, but you're just kind of there, that's not that's not getting to do the job. That's why he they pivoted and said we want somebody without any experience and we're going to groom him into the role or whatever. And they couldn't even get Chris Young, who was like two years ago was playing. 
Yeah. Okay. Do you guys think it's weird though that the Rangers didn't even say there was a job opening and then all of a sudden Chris Young is their GM? I mean, if I'm somebody who wants a GM job, that and the Marlins who I think didn't interview anyone but Kim Eng, how is that allowed, right? In in this day and age. Um Yeah, there are like supposedly fair practice, fair hiring practices, right. you know. Not saying those guys are bad hires, just saying it's a little shady. Like, do the rules not apply when you come from the commissioner's office? Who would get you in trouble is the commissioner's office, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so is the lesson here work at the commissioner's office first, because then you'll just get offered a job and you'll spring ahead of everyone, right? Isn't it a little weird? Shady. Yeah. Here's the follow-up question for you guys. They're thinking about the NL East picture, right? So the Mets, that's a good job once they figure it out. Like once Sandy Alderson retires and the next GM, president of baseball operations, can be in charge because Steve Cohen's going to spend a lot of money, right? It's definitely a good job. The Braves have an outstanding young core, right? You got Acuna, Albies, that alone. All signed to below market deals. For a long time, you've got them locked in. So they're they're in great shape. You look at the Marlins, they at least have a lot of young talent. There's a lot of work to be done building the org. That, to me, also looks more appealing than Philly. And then the Nats, like we just talked about, you got Soto. You still have Trey Turner for a few years. You have some great older pitching, and you just won. So there's a good chance that you will be able to spend a little more than you will be able to spend somewhere else. So it, to me, the Phillies look like the worst job in the NL East and the toughest path to even win the division in the long run. Like they're not set up for good long run success. They're going <laughs> to, they have to spend to win now. I do have a retort. The Phillies make money. Like they, like it's a good, like in terms of park and TV and like when they're rolling, they make money, you know? So, you know, they're what they're what, like, don't forget the heyday. Don't forget like they you know, they won a world series and yeah. they, they went to another, you know, like they, they can they can spend when things are going well. They can spend. I don't know. I will be honest. I don't know much about Middleton and, and how it works. But that's the that's the thing that that's why the Angels keep cycling through GMs is because that's a that's not a coveted job, and right. it has to do with the owner. I think that the Orioles is interesting because I had the impression that they had a, a meddling owner. Uh, but maybe either Elias has convinced him to just let him run the show and run the rebuild, or I don't know. Maybe maybe there will be a point where Mike Elias signs some slugger to a terrible deal, and you'll just know that that was, that was the owner. <laughs> like Chris Davis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Peter right, exactly. Um The thing with the Orioles is that Peter Angelos has gotten so old now that meddling is maybe he's just, just not, not possible. He's not meddling yeah, as much. it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, I agree with Derek. I think it's the worst job in the NL East, but you know, brings up a good point. Like when they are good, their fan base cares, right? Some fan bases, when mm. they're bad, just ignore them. The Phillies are probably getting just as many clicks now because it's a train wreck as when they're right. good. So there's definitely always something going on in Philly. And it's like the Cubs job, right? If you win in Philly, you'll just be immortalized, right? It'll be like Rocky and you. There'll be statues. And it's a it's almost a destination park. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty nice park. You know, people go to it. Yeah, it's great. So, yes, but also I look at that team and I think they're not one player away. They're not two players away. Like they, they need a lot of work. That bullpen is atrocious. They made a lot of bad signings. Just look at the depth chart and they're below at or below replacement in like uh, they're below average in four spots. Yeah, it's just which is bad. Five spots. Yeah. And then they're at replacement in three spots. That's not good. Right. So they have to spend, right? Yes. They have to spend. The, the only way this works with Dave Dombrowski is they have to spend because they don't have 
enough prospects for him to trade yeah. to get the stuff. I mean, maybe maybe teams will take on lesser prospects just to shed payroll. Maybe that's the the way Dombrowski can can work out of this. And I'm not trying to like crap on him as a GM or anything. I just think it's a it's a tricky spot that he's in and that Nashville thing sounded a lot more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, last question for you guys for today. In or out on cheesesteaks? Some people actually don't like cheesesteaks. What do you think, Britt? In. The whole reason I took a recruiting trip to uh, LaSalle. Was it LaSalle in Philly? Yeah. Um, or maybe it was Drexel. I don't know. Anyway, the whole reason I took a recruiting <laughs> trip to go to a school in Philly was so that I could eat multiple cheesesteaks at multiple locations. And I can report that they are delightful. Yes, in. <laughs> I have to the, the 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 great tragedy of my life is that I've not had a cheesesteak in Philadelphia. Mm, I haven't either. I've never actually been to Philly, what? so I've had all the fake cheesesteaks around the country trying to imitate places in. Yeah, Philly. exactly. I can say that I, I like it as a, a concept and a sandwich, but I I I don't want to comment too heavily on it, having not you know <laughs> had one of the you know at the mecca. Somebody needs to send Eno and Derek and I cheesesteaks and we will in the mail. and we will eat, oh, <laughs> ship them. <God. laughs> they ship everything now. or something? Uh, Is there yeah, a worse food that you could mail someone? Like a <laughs> soggy, <laughs> soggy ass box. There's just no possible way to get that. You know what, guys? Right. I was trying to secure us a cheesesteak sponsorship and you've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Find a way to send us one that's not disgusting, and I'll eat it. <laughs> the, the Rates and Barrels World Tour will have to make a stop in Philadelphia someday when we can that's right. uh, get our cheese sticks there. But tell us where to get our cheese sticks. Rates and Barrels at theathletic.com. That's definitely a point of contention, as is the uh, wit without, and uh, whether you're going cheese whiz or provolone or why not both. You know, just throw throw all of it on there. Messy sandwiches, just. Mm. let it go all the stuff i want hot peppers though do they do hot peppers on that that's probably frowned upon uh, <laughs> if you got questions for us you can send them our way via twitter as well she's at brit underscore giroli he's at eno saris i am at Derek van riper blaze underscore giroli yes <laughs> blaze. <laughs> yes yes thank you again to melissa lockard for joining us on this episode that is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on monday Thanks for listening.